Welcome to The Investigation. I'm your co-host, Chris Flasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News. I'm joined by John Santucci, Senior Editorial Producer. And we're joined here today with Barbara Comstock, former Congresswoman from Virginia. But before that, she served as Chief Republican Counsel for the House Oversight Committee and is now an ABC News consultant. Barbara, when I watch these hearings today, I actually think that the Democrats really did not do a good job at telling a story for the American people to grab onto this impeachment. I mean, for lack of a better term, it was just boring. What do you think? I would agree. <laughs> they, you know, last week and really through, this is why the Judiciary Committee wasn't initially given the hearings. Last week it was very dull. They kind of lost people's interest. And I think because they each side is very partisan, but when you're the defense side, the Republican side, that's what you're supposed to do. But when you're the prosecutor, when you're presenting the case, you should be showing pictures, you should be showing evidence, you should be putting it up on the wall so everyone can see it. You should be telling a story that's somehow understandable. And I think they have really failed at that. I think that's why Nancy Pelosi went out so quickly after last week's hearing to say we're moving forward, and now they want to move forward very quickly. But, but you know, I, I understand the problem that Nancy Pelosi had, that she, she knew that Jerry Nadler's hearings had been a disaster when Corey Lewandowski were there. And then, so she took it out of Jerry Nadler's hands and gave it to Adam Schiff. His committee seemed to have, but that was the drama, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, but, but I think the American people are phasing out already. I, I don't, I, as the TV producer in me tells me that, you got to keep holding your audience, and they're actually losing, I think, the interest. Would you agree? Okay, let's go to John. Well, well, I mean, I think that we got spoiled, right, because the shift hearings were every day there was one more interesting than the next between uh, Gordon Sondland's testimony and Fiona Hill's testimony. I mean, there, there are so many standout moments from those days that now this is just getting into the process, if you will, right? This is the stuff that maybe you wouldn't see and sit and watch hour by hour by hour going through committees. Frankly, what did we see in these hearings is lawyers talking back and forth, which isn't exactly something that you can Actually, relate staff, to. staff lawyers right. talking back and forth. Right, right, right. So, so it, 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 it's more of the process of things that, you know, for people that aren't interested in how the sausage is made, they're not going to tune into it. But I, I, I don't think, I think they didn't do well on this set, but I don't think you can hit shift and label him into this same pool with Nadler for these committee hearings because Schiff's hearings were successful, what many would argue, that you got Trump administration officials, both political appointees and career appointees, to actually step forward and say, no, what we heard here involving the president's conversation with Ukraine was an issue for us. But, but what, one Barbara, of the, what is the point? What, what do you think? I mean, take the other side. What are they trying to do with this? Just lay claim as the House Judiciary Committee because the Constitution tells them they need to be? Does well, the Constitution actually tell them? I don't even know. Well, I think because they, you know, they, as the Republican counsel pointed out, they've wanted to impeach him on various subjects for years now. And in fact, the attorney, Burke, who was there first, he came on board in January as soon as they had the majority and had already written about impeachment and was really planning for impeachment on the Mueller things. So I think the problem is that story resonates when people hear from the Republicans, hey, they've been trying to impeach him since he walked in. So they've been successful in telling that story. But one of the things 
interestingly, it'll be interesting to see if the Democrats pick up on this. The Republican counsel today, and it was questioning at the end, was saying, hey, we don't have enough firsthand information and that we didn't hear from from uh, from Rudy and from John Bolton and from Mick Mulvaney. And they were saying, hey, you should slow down. You should hear from these people, which was an odd thing for Republicans to be saying when, of course, the president has been stopping them. So if I were the Democrats, I certainly would pick up on that and say, hey, you're right. We don't have all the firsthand testimony we can have. Why don't you sign this letter along with us to the president and get him on down here? I also think that the Democrats should have pushed it in court and asked for expedited consideration. And it really they probably could have done it with a few more weeks, maybe going into January. And I think that makes them look there on a political timetable, not a real fact-finding timetable. Well, but also, then, but also uh, John, I also thought last week when they had the first lawyers in, I can't believe that there were not a Republican constitutional scholar out there who believes that there's impeachment that that this phone call constituted an article of impeachment. Wait, wait, or, the, the Democrats couldn't find one. I know George Conway tweets about it all the time. Well, and there you could was have one George. right here in Virginia, very <laughs> close by. He's a Scalia Law School Republican who was a Trump transition staffer who was pro-impeachment. But I think that, again, goes to the Democrats' partisanship. They're, they so don't trust their case. They didn't want to bring in somebody else, whereas Republicans – it was smart to go with Jonathan Turley, who said, "Hey, he was, I didn't vote for the guy." And he's a yeah. never Trumper, yeah. and he 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 made his case. Although mm-hmm. I thought his argument was a little bit weak by saying it's he's saying, "Well, what did he, they needed more time? Right? Should work more slowly?" But that's kind of what you're saying. Well, and that's well, what a lot of people yeah. in the world are saying because of the fact that you have these witnesses that are held up in the court proceedings. What's going to happen with Don McGahn? What's going to happen with John Bolton? What's going to happen with his deputy, Charlie Kupperman? I mean, there is an argument to wait. The courts have moved pretty quickly on these things, but not quick enough. But what we're hearing from White House world is, you know what? The hell with this. We're not going to do anything with the House. Let's just wait for the Senate. That's where we'll get our day in court. That's when we can actually call witnesses. They haven't decided who's going to try that for the president yet, but they're already building up a team to deal with that when it crosses to the other chamber. Barbara, but, do you think the Trump people think this helps them? I think the president is coming to understand that being the third impeached president in history, which he will be now because the House will impeach him, is not a good thing. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's good for going forward in the election. But I think his fundraisers and his political people think this is helping them. And I I think that's probably a misguided notion because having done, worked on the Clinton impeachment, sometimes we'll learn the wrong lesson from that and think, oh, that hurt Republicans. Well, actually, in the next election, we won. And it did hurt It probably did hurt the Democrats being tied up. Remember, George Bush was talking about turning the page away from the scandals, bringing people together. And um, I think the problem right now is there's not a candidate like that on the Democrat side. They're all in with the House Democrats. Well, and people forget, actually, back then, Al Gore kept Bill Clinton away on that campaign trail because of impeachment. He didn't want to campaign with him a lot. There was a lingering effect. Yeah, and that and that was I mean George Bush was turned the page, but he always stayed above it, and he didn't want to be engaged, and he let the House do that. Whereas the president is very engaged on this. 
hundred tweets yesterday when he could have been doing at least half of those tweets about how great the economy is. That's what Republicans would like. Republicans would like Rudy Giuliani to disappear and stop complicating this. He caused it in the first place in many regards, and now you have him continuing to double down on this. And do you think it affects congressional races and Senate races of... I mean, how many Republicans like you exist uh, anymore? Uh, there's not many in the middle. And so it probably will not impact many House races because people in the swing moderate districts, Republicans are already gone. Will it impact any of the Democrats? Well, in a lot of those 31 so-called Trump districts, only 13 of those did Trump have over 50 percent in 16. Some of those have deteriorated considerably since then. And in all of those 13, the Democrat has already outraised the uh, Republican contender. So it's going to be a big challenge in the House. And it's more complicated on the Senate side because some of the more moderate senators are now in the position we were in in the House last year, where it is going to be more difficult. They're in states that did not vote for the president, Mm -hmm. or it's a little questionable. Now, certainly Cory Gardner in um, Colorado, Susan Collins in Maine. North Carolina was very close. The governor lost. The president won narrowly. Iowa, he won big there, but that, because of the um, trade things, can be a little bit more problematic. So it, it is going to impact there, but you could actually have the president win, and it hurts some of the House and Senate races, but not him as much. Barbara, the only question I have is that, you know, as we look ahead to the Senate and the process that's going to happen there, so if the timeline holds up, the House will vote on impeachment the next couple of weeks, we'll go off and maybe enjoy a quiet holiday, and then we're back in the new year. How long does it take for them, in theory, to actually set the rules for a trial for that process to play out? Well, the calendar that Mitch McConnell just put out has all of January blocked out. Mm -hmm. So they haven't sat down together like they did with the Clinton impeachment and decided what is the process going to be? Are we going to have live witnesses on the floor or not? The president is talking about he wants that. I don't think you're going to have Mitch McConnell say, hey, let's subpoena Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or the whistleblower. But what I don't think the White House has thought about as much is who are the House managers going to call for witnesses and what is that process going to be? So if Chuck Schumer says, okay, if you want those live witnesses, Mr. President, then we get some too. And then maybe everyone says, okay, never mind. Mm. We'll just, we know how the vote is going to end. And that's the problem, right? The reason it's not capturing people's imagination, we know how the movie ends. Right. And we know the final chapter won't be until next November. And what might come out in John Bolton's book is another, and others as we go along. Well, or as I say, there could be, you know, the Southern District of New York is still has a criminal investigation going on that could possibly involve Rudy Giuliani, and you never know what would happen. Right, and the Durham investigation, you know, he did come out today also and say that he has some differences of opinion with Michael Horowitz. Now, I worked with Michael Horowitz and Chris Ray and all those guys, and so I trust their integrity and how they're doing it. But what Durham did point out is he has different jurisdiction. He can um, interview a, a much wider berth of people, get documents beyond the Justice Department. So I don't think he was trying to in any way bash the Horowitz investigation. He's just saying, hey, mine is different, and stay tuned. So we have the never-ending drama. Barbara, thanks very much. Coming up, an ABC News exclusive, our own Pierre Thomas sits down with the director of the FBI right after this. 
Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm John Santucci, Senior Editorial Producer, along with my co-host Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer of Investigations here at ABC. And also in the news today, the Inspector General report released by the Department of Justice, our own Chief Investigator. Our own Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas sat down with the FBI Director Chris Ray for his first extensive interview on the IG report. And Pierre started by asking him for his key takeaways from the report. Take a listen to that. What's the biggest takeaway and the most important takeaway from the report for you? Well, I think there's a number of takeaways that are important. One, that we fully cooperated with this independent review. Two, that we fully accept its findings and recommendations. Uh, three, that the inspector general did not find political bias or improper motivations impacting the opening of the investigation or the decision to use certain investigative tools during the investigations. Including FISA. Including FISA. But that the inspector general did find uh, a number of instances where employees uh, either failed to follow our policies neglected to exercise appropriate diligence or in some other way fell short of the standard of conduct and performance that we and that I as director expect of all of our employees. But again, we are and I am ordering 40, over 40 corrective actions to address all of those things uh, in a way that's robust and serious. Uh, And we're determined to learn the lessons from this report and make sure the FBI emerges from this even better and stronger. Was the launch, the origination of the uh, FBI probe into Russian interference involving U.S. citizens, lawfully authorized and pursued? Well, I think it's important for the American people to know that when the FBI opens an investigation, it does so with proper predication, uh, with proper authorization, uh, based on the law and the facts and nothing else. And I think uh, it's important that the inspector general found that in this particular instance, the investigation was opened with appropriate predication and authorization. As far as you know, based on the findings in the inspector general report, is the FBI, was it part of some deep state? Well, I think that's the kind of label that is a disservice to the 37,000 men and women who work at the FBI who... I think tackle their jobs with uh, with professionalism, with rigor, with objectivity, and with courage. Um, so that's not a term I would ever use to describe our workforce, and I think it's an affront to them. Having said that, having said that, there are a number of things in this report uh, that, in my view, fall well short of the standard of conduct and performance that we and that I expect of all our employees. And we're going to be taking a number of corrective steps uh, to address that. Pierre Thomas speaking with FBI Director Chris Ray. So, Chris, I mean, this was obviously interesting. It's the first interview he's given on this Inspector General report. And that other headline that Pierre had with him, which you and I were talking about, is that uh, Pierre asked the FBI director about uh, that ongoing claim the president has tried to push that Ukraine was somehow involved in meddling in the 2016 election. Our contributor, Tom Bossert, who did serve as the president's first national security advisor, said he repeatedly told the president that is not true. And FBI director Ray repeated that today, saying there has been no evidence the FBI has seen to back up that claim. 
And and I do find that to be the most significant thing out of this interview. I mean, listen, the the report itself is interesting, but it's not I think both sides, Republican and Democrats will be upset by this report. They're going to say, you know, they it, they didn't look hard enough uh, and they, but they did criticize the FBI by saying that they were basically sloppy. That this steel, there were problems with the steel report. But you're right, John. This aspect of this um, idea that Ukraine participated, that this crowd strike and the server of of Hillary Clinton was in Ukraine, has been repeatedly said by almost everyone in law enforcement and intelligence, Republican or Democrat. Is just not true. And and when I even saw this weekend Ted Cruz on TV perpetuating that, and this was a guy I thought actually Chuck Todd, when he was talking about, this was a guy who was maligned by the president during the campaign with false stories, is now perpetuating this false story. I was amazed by it. It's absolutely stunning that he stood, that he was actually doing that. And to your point, uh, someone who often criticized the president for peddling false stories just did it himself. It is interesting. But but it also the fact of the matter, to your point, is that, you know, listen, if you're a Democrat or Republican, you pull something out of this report. It is interesting, though, that the IG is recommending that the FBI actually do an audit of all of the people that were involved in building that report, um, saying that they all should have a turn actually going through some sort of view, because there were lapses in judgment that were done, protocols that were missed. Um, I I also think it's interesting, as we reported, a little nugget uh, that came out of that report is the fact that uh, Chris Steele, who the author of the infamous dossier, uh, many people wondering, you know, the contacts he had, people he was speaking to. We actually learned through our reporting, Chris, that uh, years prior to him working on an investigation of Donald Trump, he actually actually met Ivanka Trump, the president's eldest daughter, in 2007, and they actually struck up what many would argue is a little bit of a friendship yeah, for a period of time. Six degrees of separation. I mean, it's such a small world, I mean, that the two of them would know each other. I wonder, as 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 her father uh, criticized Steele dossier over and over again, I wonder what was going through Ivanka's mind. They were talking from 2007 when they first met at a dinner. They apparently met again in New York in 2008. And then another communication in 2011, Chris, where actually uh, Ivanka had reached out complimenting him on the birth of his child. I mean, it's stunning to think that that was the guy her father was beating up for months and months and months. But they were talking you know, a couple years prior. No big deal. It's an amazing story that never ceases to end. Never ends. That's all for us today. Please be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a comment, a rating. Thanks to our producers, Emily Rachowski, Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer. For John Santucci and myself, thanks for listening, and we will see you back next week for another episode of The Investigation.